Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Well, as Trevor said at the beginning, my name is Brett and my wife, Julie, looks like she just stepped out. Oh, there she is in the back. Um, we're from Church of the Resurrection, your, your mother church and sending church. And you, I say this every time I come, but you have to know that we love you madly. Uh, we love you and we think of you often. And our church plants are dear to us and, and in our prayers and near to our hearts always, in our minds. So it's fun for me to get a chance to get away from resurrection and, and come uh, and be with you all and just bring a word from from the Lord. So you are in a series on healing, coming into wholeness in Jesus. And this morning, the, the title is, is Hope for the Past. And this is a sermon for anyone who has regret or shame or pain over something that you did or something that someone did to you. And that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? <laughs> all, of our, all of our wounds, all of our pain, all of our shame, the things that we're guilty about. It's either something that I did and I feel really guilty about. It doesn't matter if it was last night, last week, or a decade ago. Or we have pain and wound from someone who did something to us, caused a real injury. And as we talk about all the different kinds of healings that there are that the Lord will do, in some shape or fashion, they're all actually rooted in this primary healing around forgiveness. The healing that we receive when our sins are forgiven, when we come to the foot of the cross and we confess our sins, or the healing that we receive when we extend that forgiveness to others. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're talking about the healing of forgiveness when we are forgiven and when we forgive others. And we're also going to say that the two greatest blocks, barriers, things that get in the way of, of healing and of joy and freedom are when we don't acknowledge our need, when we don't confess our sin. So unrepentance, major block for healing. But the other major block is unforgiveness, when we do not forgive those who sinned against us. So we'll talk about those two things. In the story from Luke, the gospel, this is one of my favorite stories. And this unnamed sinful woman is one of my favorite characters, um, people in the whole gospel because of her love and devotion. She doesn't care what anybody is thinking of her except for one person in the room, and that's Jesus. And she comes in and she, she has this lavish display of love and worship. She breaks a, a perfume jar that's costly. She weeps at his feet and washes his feet with her tears and her hair. And we know that this woman needed hope for her past. Verse 37, it tells us really clearly this is a woman who had led a sinful life. She was a sinner. And the Pharisees, the leaders who were there at the table, they're, 
They're there inviting Jesus for a completely different reason. They're, they're there to test him. Who is this young rabbi? I want to see what he's made of. They're not there to worship him. They're not there to, to lavish him with love. And so they think to themselves, if this Jesus was really some great prophet, he would know who this woman is, that she is a sinful woman. Now, we don't know what kind of sin it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's a good guess that in that culture and in that time, the kind of sinful life that would be known and the kind of life that you'd be ostracized for, it's probably she had a sexual history, sexual sin. We know that's the case with a different woman, the woman at the well that Jesus meets in John 4. She had had five different husbands. And so she was an outcast and ostracized. Perhaps it was similar with this woman. She needed hope for her past, and Jesus gave her that. And then he tells this beautiful parable of two people. One owed a lot of money, one owed a little bit. They were both forgiven of their debt. And Jesus said, who's going to love more? Obvious answer. Lob, slow lob over the plate. And the Pharisee, he knocks that out of the park. Well, the one who, who owed more, and in giving that answer, he condemns himself. Because Jesus says, don't you see? She loves much. Yes, she is a sinner. And, and Jesus is saying in verse 47, yeah, I, I know who she is. I am a prophet. I know what her life was like. And I'm not denying the reality of her sinful life. But I am saying she is forgiven. And then he ministers the power of forgiveness. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But the one who's forgiven little loves little. And then he turns to her and he says, and don't you love this? He, he tells them her sins are forgiven, but then he looks her in the eye. Your sins are forgiven. And he ministers directly the healing of forgiveness. And those who are at table said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's clear that Luke, who's writing this story, wants us to know. That's right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Here, Jesus is God in human flesh doing what he came to the earth to do. The ministry of forgiveness. So the ministry of forgiveness, the healing that comes from forgiveness is the fundamental, the primary healing. It's the one that we all need, that the world needs. We're going to share a little bit of, of a story. This is my testimony. So when, when people talk about sharing their testimony, sometimes they'll tell their whole life story of how God was faithful to them. For me, it was a very acute moment. A moment where I, who grew up in the church and had known the gospel my whole life, this was the moment where it became real to me. It's also a beautiful story that illustrates the power of prophecy. Um, that's just, you know, extra. So I was a young man. I was, I was in college. This was before I met Julie. Uh, and I was dating another young woman. And even though I was at a school where I was studying Bible and thinking I would be in ministry someday. When I got into this relationship with a young woman, something happened to me. I wanted this relationship so bad. I actually made an idol out of this relationship. And you know what happens when you make idols out of something? It leads you into other sin. So as I made an idol out of this relationship, I became blind to other things. And in this relationship, very quickly, we started talking about marriage and and I wanted to secure this relationship and, and make it mine and make sure that it, it wouldn't fall apart because I was so excited that it was happening. Because I don't know about you, but I, I was one of those where if I liked somebody, they, they never liked me back. 
And here I like somebody, she actually liked me back. Holy cow, this never happens. This must be from God. <laughs> and and I, I did all of the mistakes that young Christian men are wont to do. Believe that this is totally from God, spiritualize everything. I'm totally in God's will. He's blessing me right now. And at the same time, go after my own will with a kind of blindness that leads me to sin. So because I had made up my mind after only a month or so of dating, I'd made up my mind that this was from God and therefore I was going to marry this young woman. Then the next thing that I did is I said, well, if we're going to be married, then as long as we don't go all the way, we can probably, you know, go pretty far sexually. And so we did. And I was in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. While I was thinking, I'm going to be a pastor someday. And I didn't see the conflict. As the relationship went on, it, it fell apart for other reasons. There was another guy, and she had dated him once before. And as she got to know me, what at first seemed like a nice kind of stability, my Dutch stability, my, my stoicism, uh, in the end, she re realized that wasn't exciting enough for her, and so she decided she actually loved the other guy. And I did not love the other guy. <laughs> As the relationship was falling apart, and you guys know this, when there's that level of intimacy, it doesn't matter that it was only three or four months. You're so bonded to that person. So now my heart is being broken because of the heartache of the relationship ending. But as that's happening, and as I'm getting clear from the relationship, I'm also getting perspective and clear on my sin. So I was heartbroken about the relationship. I was devastated when I realized I've been living a double life. I've been saying one thing and living another. I've been completely confused and deceived. And because I was, I, I said, you know, this makes sense when people you know, leave the faith, and they, just, they say, I don't believe in God anymore, and then they walk away, and then they, they live the kind of life you'd expect, having sex, drinking all the time. Sure, you would expect that. But here I was studying to be a pastor and thinking, this isn't a problem. So when all of this came home to me, I was utterly devastated, heartbroken about what I'd got done to God, but then also thinking, and now I'm disqualified. My life is over. I, will, I can't be a pastor and I knew in my mind that God forgives me. I, if you had given me a multiple choice test, I would have checked the right box. But I did not feel forgiven. And I honestly, I wasn't really sure that I was. And even if I was forgiven, I didn't think that I would be restored in any kind of way. So at, at the bottom, the very bottom, um, the lowest point, I was talking with a friend and I said, you know what it feels like? It feels like my life is over. Like I'm a little bug wrapped up in a spider's web just waiting for the spider to come and end my life. Later that day, uh, somebody said, hey, there's, there's a prayer meeting happening um, at one of the uh, homes of, of a leader here on campus. And I said, prayer sounds good right now. I'll go, I'll go to a prayer meeting. And it was a meeting where they were teaching on, on the gift of prophecy and how in, in prophecy we can hear things from God and minister that to others. So while I was there, the leader explained, here's what we're doing. Does anybody want to be like a guinea pig? And, and we'll, we'll come and we'll pray for you. Who needs prayer? Over here. So I, I went and the leader and then an, another young woman who was a leader uh, laid their hands on me and they just listened in quiet for a minute or two. 
And these two people, knowing nothing of what was going on in my life, the first, uh, the other leader, the young woman said, I see in my mind a picture of your heart, and it's covered with a cob's web. And immediately that resonated. Because just a few days ago, I said, I am a bug caught in a web. And she said, and now I see the finger of God moving towards that heart. And I thought, yes, to spite my heart, <laughs> that sinful heart. She said, I see the finger of God gently rubbing around the outside of the heart and removing the cobweb. And now I see the heart restored clean and pure. And that's when I knew I'm forgiven. And that was the greatest healing that I've ever received in my life. I've received other healings. That was the greatest one. And that story, uh, for me, it's my testimony because as regrettable as all of that was, and I wish if I could go back, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do what I had done. I wish I hadn't done those things. Yet at the same time, in that time of repentance and brokenness, I knew and experienced the tenderness and the nearness of God like never before. I know what forgiveness is. And it is what Jesus has come to minister to us. So when you catch a cold, in order to be healed from the cold, you need to get medicine. We all have a, a sickness that leads to death. Death is actually the worst sickness that we all have. All other sicknesses, whether it's a cold or whether it's cancer or whether it's financial issues or, or, or whatever, any other problems we have in this life, they're like lowercase d deaths. But they all come from uppercase D, death, which is our great enemy. Death is our great problem. And the Bible tells us, where does death come from? Why do we die? It's because of sin. God did not create us to die. He created us to live forever. And if you know the story, it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way that they distanced themselves from God. And, and he actually said, okay, you have to leave the garden. You have to leave the tree of life, which if you remember, there was another tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. They could eat from the tree of life and live forever. He said, you have to leave the garden. You have no more access to the tree of life. You must leave. And that's true for every single one of us. When we sin and when we rebel and live out of harmony with God, we lose access. We've all lost access to the tree of life. There's that distance and that separation. And this is the heart of the gospel. When we say the gospel, this is what we're talking about. That by our sin, we've created distance between us and God. And that what Jesus came to do is to close that distance. And to basically say to himself on the cross, I, I am now the tree of life. You don't have to find your way back to Eden. Eden is right here. You don't have to eat the, the fruit off the tree of life. Drink my blood and eat my flesh. That is the fruit of the tree of life, and I give it freely to anyone who knows that you need it and asks for it. That's all he requires of you. That's the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. Is that You just have to know that you're far from God. You just have to know that your sin has put you far from God and that, that, that distance ends in death, and ultimately a death that is permanent and goes on forever. I mean, we believe in the reality of hell. The Bible teaches about hell. What it is, is just the final and permanent separation of those who've chosen to go their own way and just will continue to do so forever. But what most people don't realize who are on that path is they don't realize how awful that is. Because God, who is life, is life, he is love. 
And what we all want is we all want love and we all want life. And we think that we're getting that when we go our own way. And that's not what we're doing. But the simplicity of the gospel is if you are given the clarity to see that you are actually far from God and that what you actually need is him, then you don't have to make any kind of payment. That's why when Jesus talked about forgiveness, he always talked about money and there were always people in those parables that didn't have money. There's no payment required of you other than to say, I need. And you have, you have what I need. Even so, in this life, many people are living cut off from the source of life. They are, they're actually living in a kind of hell, even now. And, and actually, sometimes they do, they have moments of clarity where they realize it. And that's where you, as the people of God, can say, there's freedom for you. There's hope for you. There's life for you. Come out of hell. I see that you're living in hell. Come to Jesus. That's what Jesus wants you to do because there are people right now in this very neighborhood that don't even know there's a gospel. And he wants you to tell them. And sometimes there are those moments of clarity where it gets so bad and they're at their low point like I was where they're open to hear. And they're open to say, yeah, you know what? When you say that I'm living in hell right now, that actually resonates. And what's beautiful is that the gospel and the cross gives us not just hope for eternal life, which it does, and primarily that's what this is about. But God is so good that he's, he's saying, and I don't want you to even have to wait till this life is over for you to receive that. Actually, right now I want to give you freedom. Now, many of us, and I'm assuming that many of you, though I'm assuming not all of you, many of you know what I've been saying. You know the gospel. And yet, knowing these things, we often still feel like we are far from God. Maybe not in the ultimate sense, but we feel that there's a distance between us. We feel that even though I believe that, that Jesus died for me, yet I'm locked up. There's some way in which I'm not free. I'm bound. Help me make sense of that. So I want to talk, before I move on to extending forgiveness, I want to talk for just a little bit here about why is it that even those of us who believe in forgiveness sometimes don't feel free. All right, so the first thing I want to say, <clears throat> well, and, and don't you love the woman in the story? She's totally free. She doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She's doing a very undignified thing. She's doing a very vulnerable thing. She probably knows these people are mocking her and judging her silently. She doesn't care. She's so focused on the center of the universe, on the center of the solar system, on the center of gravity. It's Jesus. She has total freedom. I want that kind of freedom. And if you don't have that kind of freedom, it may be that there's a healing that you need today, and it may be that that healing is around forgiveness. So one of the first things that keeps us locked up even if we, we know and believe these things, is that there is sin that is unconfessed or unacknowledged. And it could be sin from a long time ago that you just have never confessed. And so it, it, it lives with you like a weight on your heart. And today Jesus is saying, if you confess that sin, I mean, you know in your mind that it was wrong, but just come to me and speak it out with your, with your words and you'll receive a weight off your heart. It may be, however, that there are some of you, like, like me, it's not just a sin that was long ago that I've never actually confessed, it's that you're actually living in sin right now, and you're not acknowledging it. You're living a double life. And so you're, that block 
of unrepentance is a block for you. Here's how you, you might know that this is the case for you. You see, because we're always trying to make excuses or downplay or shift blame, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, what, did they, what was the first thing? She did it. It's her fault. Or it was a snake who made me do it. So we're always looking to shift blame, deny, downplay. It's not really that big of a deal. So if you find yourself saying those kinds of things, then this is you. You, you have unrepentant sin. If you have this kind of gnawing feeling in your gut sometimes, that if you were to just face it squarely, you know that you're doing something that's disobedient and that God is gently, that gnawing feeling is his gentle invitation to you back. So in this period in my life where I was studying the Bible and living a sinful life, there was one class, it was one of my Bible classes, where I would sit in class and have that gnawing feeling. And I, and I knew why it was there. And I just had to work so hard to suppress that feeling and shove it. So if you have that gnawing feeling, or, or if you find yourself rationalizing a certain behavior, ah, it's okay that I drink that much, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you find yourself trying to convince yourself why something is okay, that's actually the, the biggest sign that it's not okay. If it really was okay, you wouldn't have to work so hard to convince yourself that it was. And the Holy Spirit is telling you, that's a sin. I want you to confess that. I want you to change your life, and oh, there's going to be freedom for you when you do. You also might know that this is the case if there's a disconnect with God. Little desire to read the Bible. Little desire to pray. Don't really want to come to church. Now, let me be clear. There are other reasons why you might feel those ways. So it's not as if every time you, you don't feel a real desire to read your Bible or, or to connect with the Lord. Or go, it's not that every single time it's unrepentance, but it, it might be. And when you do read your Bible, you feel like God isn't saying anything. You say, well, God's not saying anything to me. Why would I read the Bible? Well, actually, he has spoken to you really clearly in the Bible when it says things like, do not get drunk or do not, uh, do not be sexually immoral. Don't sin sexually. He has spoken really clearly. And what happens when we choose to disobey, we turn down the volume of his voice. And he's saying, when you say, why aren't you talking to me? He's saying, I'm talking to you all the time, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. And every time you do that, it hardens your heart. So that when I do want to say something to you, very personally or directly, you won't hear my voice. That's exactly what happened for me. In fact, remarkably so. I mean, I can't even believe this. Like people say, I wish God would just ride on the clouds. Do you want to know what happened to me? The week that this young woman and I crossed a significant boundary. That same week, I get a call from somebody five years out of my past, a pastor named Adam Padilla, that I worked with for one week at a camp in Colorado when I was in high school. And this guy calls me up and he says, how are you doing? Long story short, he basically says, I've been given dreams and visions with your face and yellow flashing warning lights. Are you dating anybody right now? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Are, are you doing anything that you shouldn't be? No, we're good. I hung up the phone. I was like, that was an interesting conversation. Like, can you believe that? When, when people say, I wish God would write in the sky, he did for me, and I totally ignored it. I didn't hear it. Oh, my friend. 
our youth pastor, Will, is a good friend who wandered away from the faith, lost his faith, let's say, gave up on the Lord. And Will was talking to him one time, and he, he said, do you, do you see any coincidence or any significance in the fact that you stopped believing in God about the same time that you decided it was okay to be sleeping with your girlfriend? And of course, his friend said, I see no connection at all. And we would say, there is a connection. So it might be unrepentant sin. This is why you have that feeling of distance. Um, it also might be that you don't know that, that there's a sin for you to confess. There's a, there's a way to get freedom. So sometimes there are sins that we didn't know we can confess. And through the revelation of the Holy Spirit and through the help of other Christians, we can identify them. Third, sometimes we, we don't feel free because you actually know that you've been forgiven. There's just simply a need to grieve the loss. This is true of, of bigger, more significant sins. The, the sin that I shared with you, I still grieve about that. Like I said, I wish it hadn't happened. I was talking with the, uh, a woman who was 60 and had had an abortion 20, 30 years ago. And she said, I know I'm forgiven. I even know I will see my child in heaven someday. Sometimes I'm still just really sad. I said, that's right. It's right to be sad. And it gets less and less over time, but it's actually something good. You're acknowledging the grief. Something was lost in that sin. Something was lost. But if you're in that place and there's a heaviness, it, it might help you to know, actually, you have freedom around the forgiveness issue. You're just needing to grieve. So do the grieving work. One of the greatest lies around forgiveness, of course, is that you're not really forgiven. Now, that's probably one of the most common lies that the evil one would whisper in your ear. You're, you're not really, you've gone too far this time, or you, it's too many times. And let me be really clear when I'm talking about unrepentant sin. If you're in a struggle with pornography um, or other sexual sin or any other addiction, and, and you are trying with everything you've got to beat that sin, to, to get free from that sin, that's not unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin is when you're thinking it's fine. You're like, that's not an issue. When you are fighting tooth and nail to be free of an addiction or something, there's grace for you. And you're, you're not in unrepentant sin. Let me just be super clear. And one of the lies of the evil one is that you did it again. Don't bother confessing this time. And what Jesus says, no, confess every time. Sometimes it can be helpful if that's the case, especially with um, repeated sin, to make a confession to, to Trevor, to Bonnie, to a leader here at City of Light. Because what happens when we confess to another human being is what's the thing that we're all afraid of? We're all afraid of uh, that we're going to be exposed, that everybody else is going to realize that I'm actually a phony and a fake and an imposter. That if people really knew what I was thinking, or if people really knew what I would done, had done, they would reject me and look down on me. Like the Pharisees did this woman. There's a real reason we think that. But for a true Christian, and especially those who are in leadership, that will never happen. Because when you confess your sin to another brother or sister, as they're hearing you confess your sin, they're not rejecting you, they're not judging you, they're standing there ready to say, you are forgiven. And so the thing that you're fearing of rejection or you're looking at me like I'm something weird or awful, they're looking at you saying, you're loved, 
and you're free. And then now you're free. You really are free. So that's the, the power of confessing to another person. Also, because we can't see God. So we can confess to God, and that is so important and so good. But sometimes there's just a way in which we need to know, like, was it real? How do I know it was real? And when you're looking somebody in the face, and they're speaking words, and you're hearing them with your ears, you are forgiven, you're loved. It, it just has a way of being real to us. That's the gift of the body of Christ. That's why we take Eucharist every week, so we can touch our forgiveness. All right, so now let me transition here and talk about extending forgiveness. Because the other side of the same coin, yes, it's a problem if you're not repenting of sin. It's also a problem if you're not extending forgiveness to those who've sinned against you. The teaching of the Bible is super clear about this. It's one of the most uncomfortable teachings in the Bible. Right after Jesus says the Lord's Prayer, and in the Lord's Prayers, forgive us our sins as we forgive those, the very first thing he says after that, as if his commentary, the most important thing about the prayer I just gave you, the very th first thing he says after that is, so if you do not forgive the sins of those who sin against you, you will not be forgiven. If you do forgive the sins of others, you will be forgiven. So the teaching is really clear. It's also really hard. And it's also why Jesus uses money in all of his parables. You might know there's another parable that he tells I'll retell it really quickly. It's kind of along the same lines as the one we heard uh, from the story today, but he said basically there's a servant who owed a master money. And in this case, it was the equivalent of millions of dollars. And the master called in the servant and said, you owe me, pay up. And the man says, I don't have the millions. I, I just don't have it. Maybe the master lent them. He was an entrepreneur and he said, go, go try to start a business and the business just failed. And he's like, I have, I have no money. It's lost. And I have no, no way of making that money. I've got nothing. And the master has mercy and says, your debt of millions of dollars is forgiven. And then that servant goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owed him what would be the equivalent of about a year's wage, like $40,000. And he says, pay me what you owe. And when the other guy says, I don't have it, have mercy on me, that servant says no, and he throws him in jail. And then everybody else is upset because that first servant received his debt of millions of dollars forgiven, and then he went out and would not forgive the debt, still a significant debt of several thousands of dollars, he would not forgive. And again, Jesus says at the end of this, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. So why does Jesus use money? Well, it's helpful, it's concrete, it's real, it's understandable. It's also really helpful because that money metaphor tells us that the debt is real. When somebody sins against you, they owe you a debt, a real debt, a real injury was done. That person now, it's like you're holding an IOU. So the debt is real. And because we understand how money works, we can understand that. The money metaphor is also really helpful because money is transactional. Now, you and I probably don't immediately like the word transactional. It feels kind of cold and mechanical and impersonal. But, but there's a benefit in something being transactional, and it's precisely that. No emotion is required for it to work. So when you go to the grocery store and, and the cashier's ringing you up and they say, 87 bucks, and you hand them, you know, the check or the money or the credit card. They don't say, uh, they hand back you the cash. Sorry, let's do that again with a little more feeling. 
please? If you want your groceries, I need a little more feeling from you when you hand me that money. No, you hand them the money, they are your groceries, that's it. And that's really helpful when it comes to forgiveness. Because I think one of the great misunderstandings we have around extending forgiveness is, I have to feel like I really like this person. I have to feel ready to forgive them. I have to feel affection for them or love or or whatever the case may be. And for Jesus, the question is not, do you feel ready to forgive? It's, are you ready to forgive? And there's a world of difference between do you feel ready to forgive and are you ready to forgive? A world of difference. And it's actually, it helps us to know I don't have to feel any certain kind of thing. I just have to obey. I just have to do this. And oftentimes the feeling of freedom comes afterward. And here's how it works, just to kind of teach you what's going on. It's before the Lord, and, and sometimes you're, you're maybe with a prayer minister or a leader helping you, but you, you just, you say, Lord, I forgive, say their name, for, you name what they've done to you. It's one of the beautiful things about extending forgiveness is actually instead of like pretending like something didn't happen, another lie, that when, if we forgive somebody, then it's, it's saying that it never happened. No. When you forgive somebody, you're actually saying something happened. Again, the debt's real. And when you're naming that thing in prayer, it's another way of saying it and acknowledging the injury was real, the thing happened. I was molested. I was abused. I, they took money from me. That thing happened. And it was a sin. And I was wounded and damaged. But I forgive. Lord, I forgive. Say their name for what they did. I do not hold it against them. And furthermore, I'm asking you not to hold it against them. So that when they come before you on the day of judgment, if it's thumbs up or thumbs down, as much as they hurt me, I'm asking for thumbs up. Have mercy on them on the day of judgment. That's what it means when you're extending forgiveness. You're saying have mercy on them when they come to judgment. And that's why Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, you're not understanding that on the day of judgment, I want to forgive you. I want to show you mercy. And if I'm going to show you mercy, I want you to want that for others. thing I'll say, I'll close with this on extending forgiveness, especially when it is something really powerful like sexual abuse. We have to know that this is not humanly possible. Jesus calls us to do this, and he expects us to obey, but he also knows that we will never obey out of our human power. We will only obey if it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, if it's Christ in me forgiving that person. Because it was Christ on the cross, remember, who suffered the greatest injustice. A man who had done no wrong. In fact, he had only healed and preached hope and done good and was unjustly condemned. And there in the moment of his being killed, 
He is forgiving his executioners. That's supernatural. Only God can do that. But now God is in me. I can do that. So Corey Ten Boom, who was uh, a survivor of the Holocaust, she was Dutch. She was not Jewish, but her family harbored Jews. They, they helped Jews, and eventually they got caught. So she, her sister, and her father all went to concentration camp where her father and her sister were killed. She survived, and afterwards, she went all throughout Europe preaching the message of forgiveness. When everybody else was saying, burn Germany to the ground, she was saying, forgive. But there was one day where she was preaching somewhere in Germany, and she was preaching this message, and afterwards, a man came up to her, and when she saw him, she immediately recognized him as one of the guards who had seen her in her nakedness, literally, at the lowest point of human indignity imaginable. He had seen her. He did not recognize her. She recognized him. He came up to her and said, I just want to thank you so much for this message. You have no idea how much it means to me that the things I've done have been forgiven. And he put out his hand, and she was frozen. And in her mind, all in a split second, she, she knew, I have to do this. This is my message. But I can't. I cannot shake this man's hand. And then it was as if, a lightning bolt of electricity came from heaven and her hand just shot out. And she shook his hand and she was filled with joy. And he walked away and she said, I knew from that moment forward that it is only the power of Christ in me that forgives others. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.